0: Why don't you turn to your neighbor tell them you're lucky you got to sit by me again today. Just let them know they're blessed to be with you today. And I'm excited about seeing some people get baptized at the end of this service. Amen. That's going to be exciting to see people come into new life with us. Uh, I'm excited to have you here. This is part three of a series we've been doing on the life of King David. And if you haven't been here the last two weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and and to listen uh, to what we've been talking about with David. David is the person in the Bible that there's the second most inspired literature written about. The only person there's more written about in the Word of God is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And the second... Is David. And so, what we've studied so far, number one was David the son. That was the first week we looked at. What, what was David's life like coming up? Last week, we looked at the fact that David was a psalmist or a worshiper, and that it's all right to be a male, it's all right to be tough, and it's all right to still be a man of worship. Come on, at every campus, let's give God a hand clap. If we believe our God is worthy of all the glory, all the praise... And all the honor, amen? Today, we're going to look at one of the third things that catapulted David into success in life. Because see, David wasn't just a son. He wasn't just a psalmist. He wouldn't go on just to be a sovereign king. He wouldn't just be uh, uh, someone who was sought by Saul. David was also a soldier or a man of war. And there's a psalm that's famous, those of you that have served in the military, those of you that uh, maybe were in law enforcement or some type of LEO. uh, Number one, I want to thank you for protecting our country and protecting our liberties and keeping us safe. We're thankful for you. But here's a psalm that you might be familiar with. Yeah, y'all can give them a hand clap for keeping us safe. Amen? Putting their life in harm's way for us. But this is a psalm that that David the soldier wrote and prayed. comes out of Psalm 144, verses 1 and 2. It says this. says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle, my loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield and the one in whom I take refuge. Who subdues my people under me. Says, Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. It's interesting that David gets all the way down to his fingers. He trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. See, David comes on the scene. Three big things brings David on the scene during the life of David. Number one, there's the prophetic word that he's gonna be the next king of Israel. How many of y'all think that's a pretty big day when you get prophesied you're gonna be the president? How many of y'all take a word like that? Amen, amen. I don't know if I want that job. It looks like a tough one. But anyway, uh, it's a pretty big day. Second big day David gets, he was this psalmist, and King Saul had become demon-possessed the kind of guy you couldn't make happy, the kind of guy that had become paranoid, the kind of guy no matter where he went in the room, he caused trouble. You want to see somebody influenced by the devil? If they have trouble with everyone, what's working behind the scenes, church? Saul was there. The only thing that could help him is David would come and he would play the harp. And that evil spirit would leave David and a peace from God would come upon him. The third thing that catapults David into greatness is the fact that David was a soldier. How did David learn to be a soldier? You study the life of David. David becomes handy with the sword, can fight with the sword. As a matter of fact, he took a group of men who had nothing going on in life. They were a bunch of losers. The Bible says they were all distressed. They're all in debt. They were the village idiots. Everything in their life was wrong. He trains them, and later on, they're called the mighty men of valor that subdue nations. David has this soldier way. No doubt he could fight with a dagger, no doubt he knew hand to hand combat. But before he learned any of that, he learned the tools of a shepherd. The tools of a shepherd were a staff and a rod. Come on, how many are familiar with the 23rd Psalm? Amen. It's not a psalm just to be read at a funeral, it's a psalm. That's really a war psalm that's for here in the land of the living. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside the still waters, restore my soul, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of what, church? Death. He's talking about some war. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your staff and your rod, your staff and your rod, your staff and your rod, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You know, there's always going to be a presence of enemies. But the great thing about the presence of enemies is I know that my God's already prepared a table for me. When I see my enemy, I know my table. Come on, come on. See your enemy. Your table is already prepared. By the way, that comes from the war culture, soldier's culture of Israel. Before they would go out to war, they knew there would be a battle the next day. Here's what they would do. They would line up one army on one side of a battleground, another army on another side of a battleground. They would bring out a table. They would bring in a spread. And they would throw a massive party where they would dine and feast and then they would shout and, and party and make sure their enemies knew that they were not afraid see you prepare a table in the presence of his enemies you anoint my head with oil my cup runneth over surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and come on church we're going to dwell in the house of the lord forever amen david mentions that staff what are some things that a shepherd would use? Number one, they'd use a staff, right, to drive off a bear, drive off a lion. As a matter of fact, the Bible records that as David was watching his father's sheep, that a bear came to kill the sheep, and David killed the bear. How many of y'all would be like, come on, we can just give the bear one or two, and just, right, it's not that big of a death loss. Dad will be over it. Not David. David goes after the bear, kills him. Later on, a lion comes after him. One of his father's sheep. What's David do? He kills the lion. What does he have to work with? He's got a staff. He's got something else. He's got a sling. May I ask you a question? I'm I'm a 1977 model. Uh, I remember in the 80s, we had these slingshots Anybody remember these old slingshots that had the brace on your arm? You grabbed a head of it, uh, the, uh, you know, a hold of it. It had like surgical tubing. Anybody have one of those or, or play with those? Now I'll tell you what, whenever that surgical tubing finally got dry rotted enough to break, like, you, had, you needed some, like, staples or something. That baby cuts you to the bone, right? It's so watch out eyeballs. Anything could happen. But those slingshots, you could bust some glass. Not that I ever broke any glass with one, but I heard about a neighbor kid that broke glass with a slingshot once. Bad kid. Full of the devil. I'm still praying for you, Jared Jones. All right. That's all I'm saying right now. And uh, so, so these slingshots we had were tough, but they're nothing compared to the slingshots that David grew up with. All right, so there were there were three kinds of military people during the days of David. Number one, there's like infantrymen, right? Hand-to-hand combat people. They're the people that, that you get right up on them, they know how to war, close combat. Second people are cavalry. They're coming in on horses, they know how to fight off horseback. There's a third type of person during the days. Uh, of David in, in Israeli war culture, and that would be the archers and the slingers. Artillery. They, they shot bows and arrows. They also used slings. All right, now, I, I'm not an arms expert. I know my way around. I mean, I know, I know the rules of firearms. I teach my children the rules of firearms when they're very young. You know what the number one rule, we teach our little kids about firearms, number one rule. First thing you teach them. As Soon as you show them a gun, this is the number one rule of a firearm. Never give your guns to the government. That's number one rule. Can I get can I, never give your guns? Come on, come on. I know you're laughing out there. Never come on. How many of y'all agree with that? Never give your guns to the government. Amen. It's rule number one. Rule, rule number two is every gun is loaded. Can I get an amen, right? So so we 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 know a little bit about it, but I'm not an arms expert. Uh, so, as a matter of fact, it was tragic. I owned a bunch of guns. All of them went down in a boating accident uh, several years ago. But but I'm still believing God that God will restore them. So, so here's what I've heard. Here's what I've heard about about these slings. That if somebody knows what they're doing. Now, I've seen them mess with them in Israel, right? They'll try to sell you everything if you're over there in the Holy Land. So, So, these slings, they say if somebody knows what they're doing, they can release a stone out of one of these slings that'll have the same knockdown power as a 45 caliber pistol. It's like shooting somebody with a 45. That's not a toy. Can I get an amen? That's a weapon, right? And, and, and that is a weapon. So think about David, the shepherd. He's out watching his father's sheep. He's on the backside uh, of the desert. He's singing psalms to God. He's trying to kill birds. He's trying to hit whatever kind of groundhog they have over there. He's probably trying to kill not the neighbor's dog but the neighbor's cats because cats are of the devil, right? That's, that's what he's doing, and he's a, he's a God-honored man, so he's trying to, no, nah, I'm playing. He's not killing the cats, but he's, he's learning, and God's preparing him. Do you know that every war prepares you for the next war in life? Every battle prepares you for the next battle in life. How many of you had some battles in life that you thought would take you out? You didn't know if you'd make it or not? How many of you had some enemies that came against you, broke your heart? You got 10 years down the road, you realized they weren't even a fly compared to what you were going to face when you grew up? David saw a lion, he saw a bear. But what's really going to catapult him into success and fame is a man named Goliath. If you have your Bible on you, I want you to open it up. Open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And by the way, it takes a Goliath to make a David. Let me say it one more time. It takes a Goliath to make a David. So don't, don't, don't look at God and say, why did you send me this enemy? David, it takes Goliath to make you become who you're called to be. First Samuel chapter 17, it says this. We'll read a few verses. You ought to read all this later, but it says this. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belonged to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Asica and Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together. They encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side. Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and a valley was between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height uh, was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me, And kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Here's what happens. All right, they go to this area that is now modern-day Palestinian authority. And there's a valley called the Valley of Elah. And if there's ever been a place that's set up that looks exactly like an arena where you would watch football or soccer or some sort of sports from, it's the Valley of Elah. In the bottom of the Valley of Elah, there's, there's a creek, there's a brook that runs through the middle of it. Both sides, there's a perfect hill. And it runs for a long way. There's a road that goes down on one side of it to this day. So you drive out there, tourists come from all over the world to see it. But on this day, all of the Philistines, they gather on one hill. All of the Israelites gather on the hill closest to Bethlehem. And every day for 40 days, the Bible says that Goliath would walk down from his hill. He would get out there in the Valley of Elah and he would begin to curse and to mock And to make fun of Israel, as a matter of fact, if you knew anything about their war culture of that day, he would moon them and expose himself every day for 40 days to the people of Israel. How many know if your neighbor moons you on day one, you might look past it. Day two, you might look past it. But after 40 days of mooning me, we're going to have some trouble. Can I get an amen out there, right? We're going to have some trouble. Nobody would do anything except David. David shows up, sees what this Philistine is doing to the people of God. Here's what David says. David says, is there not a cause in Israel to go down here and to fight this Philistine? Come on, I think think a lot of times people, they don't ever get engaged in life because they never recognize the cause that God puts right in front of them. Come on, church, how many know we got a cause to do some stuff as a church body together? How many know we got a cause to win some lost folk? Can I get an amen? How many know we got a cause to get some addicts free? Can I get an amen? How many know we got a cause to get some people yoked up in depression, get their joy back? Can I get an amen? David comes down, he says, is there not a cause? He says, I'll go down and I'll fight him. See, everybody else is afraid. Everybody else is going to stay up on the hill. David is willing to walk down into the valley of Elah. And if you're gonna fight a battle, let me, let me, here's something I know. I know that everybody else won't understand your cause. Everybody else won't understand your cause. Some of them will think you're crazy, some of them will, whatever. I'm so thankful for the people in his church. Over the last couple of years, I've had a cause, and it's the freedom of religion. And I want to thank you, people, for standing with me, staying with me, praying for me, <laughs> fighting with me, giving to make things happen. It, the people in the churches, to be honest, were stronger than the leaders in America. They were stronger than the leaders in America. A lot of the leaders stayed quiet. They were afraid somebody would walk off and leave them, I guess. I don't know what they were afraid of. But the people, come on, the people like you, y'all saw the cause. Well, David saw the cause. And he says, I'm going down to the Valley of Elah, and I might die there. You know what's worse than dying in the Valley of Elah? It's living on the mountain like a coward. I'd rather die in Elah than live like a coward on the hill any day of my life. Any day of my life. So David says, I'll go and fight him. And they're looking at David, and David's half the size. Literally half the size of Goliath. They're like, he does not stand a chance. Vegas starts making the odds on David versus Goliath. And if David gets a win, it pays a million to one, right? There's no way David can kill this guy. He's a monster. He's like nine foot tall. David's half of him. And this guy's an infantryman. He's expecting David to walk down and fight hand to hand. So Saul goes to David and says, listen, son, you, you can't win this. You're going to die down here in this valley today. And he says, I'm not, I'm not going to die. I've already killed a lion. I've killed a bear. I, I'll kill this giant. He says, listen, I, I, you don't need to do this. David says, let me do it. And he says, at least let me give you my armor. Well, you'll have what you need to fight. And so David puts on Saul's armor, and he's got his helmet on, and he's got his got his uh, coat on, and he's got all this stuff on. And David can't even walk in it. He's walking around. And he's like, I don't even I don't even know what I'm going to do. This stuff's chafing me, and doesn't fit, and the sword's too big for me, and you know I, I don't I don't think I'm fighting this stuff. He takes it all off, and he goes back to what he knows. Goes back to what he learned as a shepherd. He walks down to this brook. That brook is still there. As a matter of fact, the day they closed the world down, me and my son, Justice, were in the Palestinian Authority, and we walked down to this brook, and Justice got stones there. And we didn't know if they would let us back from the Palestinian Authority into Israel because they were locking it all down at 5 o'clock that night because of COVID. So we're there. Justice runs. He gets his stones. He runs back. he's He's ready to fight. David walks down onto this battlefield. He doesn't have Saul's armor. Come on, some of you need to understand that you're not what the generation before you was and that we're not going to win the same way they won. How many of y'all recognize the world has changed right now? We need some new strategies, strategies, some new ideas, some new methods, some new ways of winning a new world. We don't need Saul's armor. More than ever before, we don't need Saul's armor. What worked three years ago doesn't work now. So everything's changed. Like as a pastor, we see it. The stats show this. People that used to come to church every week, now they come every other week. They used to come twice a month. Statistically, now they come once a month. Right? Everything's changed. Guys in the building industry right now, building homes Think about this. Some of the primary things that drive the American economy, what is it? Building homes, number one. I've got a friend, largest home builder in the state of Oklahoma, cannot get bathtubs, cannot get appliances, cannot get doorknobs right now. So he cannot build houses because he cannot get occupancy. He's going to have to figure something else out because it's a new day. One of the primary movers in the American economy, Think about, think about this. Cars, have you driven by a car lot recently? You seen how short we are in new cars? Can't get chips for the car. What's one of the second primary movers of the American economy? It's buying new cars, right? It's a new day. We better learn to do some new stuff. Now, I'll tell you what, right now, there are people being forced to take a shot they don't want to take to keep their job which is un-American, unconstitutional, and unacceptable. And I think it's demonic. Regardless of whether you would want to take it or not, that's not the issue. The issue is choice. And I think we as the church ought to figure out some ways to employ some people that will not be coerced into doing what they don't want to do. Maybe it's a different day than wearing Saul's armor. Maybe God's calling some of you to start some kind of business. It's going to blow the world's socks off where you won't have to comply to what the world's doing to your brothers and sisters. How many of you would like to be their deliverer? Would you like to be their answer? I think maybe, just maybe, God could use somebody in one of these rooms right now Might be you. A 18 year old boy watching right now. Might be you. Come on. How many of y'all think God could do that through our sons, our grandsons, our daughters, our granddaughters? At every campus, give God a hand clap. You think, come on, come on. We got some deliverers in our midst. So David walks down into the valley of Elah. Think about it. He's a young kid. He's got a staff. He's got a sling. This this guy's down here in all of this armor. David comes walking up, and immediately Goliath starts cursing him and trying to scare him because the devil operates by fear. says, today I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Today I'm going to tear you limb to limb. He says, you're coming at me with sticks. David walks out and says, I come to you in the name of the living God. Now, here's something that I don't know whether it's true or not, but it's theory. There are a couple of different theories on how Goliath became so big. One theory comes from Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 tells us there were fallen angels. These fallen angels came to the earth and they bred with the daughters of men, they had this offspring that was never supposed to happen was against the will of God. And these people had these unbelievable abilities. And, and there's legend about these people even to these days in other culture. Many of them, because of their actions on the earth, have already been taken by God, and they're restrained in, in a place waiting judgment even now. So, But, but still, they say they were called Nephilim is the original uh, word in the, in, the, in the Hebrew, Nephilim. So some people believe Goliath and his giant-type brothers were descendants between this human, angelic, uh, hybrid offspring that was never sanctioned by God. There's a second theory that, that's a medical theory. Uh, do I have any old-school WWF fans in the house? I'm, talking, I'm not talking WWE I'm talking back in the Hulk Hogan, Mancho man. Does anybody remember those days? Back when wrestling was awesome. Back when you couldn't wait for Saturday morning to suplex your father. Or, or, or what? I got something on me. I don't know. Jesse signaling to me. My collar. Thank you. I thought it was a baseball call. It's like, what are we? What are we? What, are we, what are we doing over here, Jess? All right. All right. So so, how many of y'all would get up on 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 uh? Saturday morning, you would watch professional wrestling, and then your older brothers would beat you till like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Anybody else like that? There was a guy back then named Andre the Giant. And Andre the Giant had this condition. He had a condition they talk about where your pituitary gland gets a tumor on it. And so the growth hormone keeps coming. Your body doesn't know when to stop uh, growing. Andre the Giant died very young. As a matter of fact, there, there's a guy. Literally, we have record of him growing to the point of eight foot eleven. Eight foot eleven. He died at 24 years of age. In modern times, that's a big man. So what goes with with this disease? These guys have uh, the actual name uh, of the disease itself. I got it. I got it somewhere right here. Uh, it is. Uh, it's called acromegaly, acromegaly is a disease. Google it, you can look it up later. But it does a couple of things. It puts pressure on the optic nerves in the eyes. Where instead of, eventually a lot of these people go blind, but before they do, they have double vision. So instead of seeing people once, they see them twice. If you read this story, you'll find out that men had to walk Goliath out onto the battlefield. They got to walk him out there. Why? Maybe he can't see. Second thing he says to David, he says, why do you come to me with sticks, plural? David didn't have sticks. David had a shepherd's rod. He had one. Some say they think he's seeing it twice. So see, the world's looking at this guy saying, this guy's going to kill him, this guy's a killing machine. But what the guy really probably was was someone whose best days were behind him and his health was already failing him. And all he could do was scare young David into thinking he was something he wasn't. You know what the devil is? The devil is a defeated foe that's already been broken. And all he can do is scare young David into thinking he's something he's not anymore because his best days are behind him. Everybody else, they preach it like this. They say young David shows up and he starts slinging his sling and an angel shows up and grabs that bullet and sinks it into, into Goliath's head. Or there's an anointing that comes on David, that thing zips out. I don't believe any of that. I believe David just already knew what he was doing because God had been training him his whole life. David starts slinging that sling. Goliath is cussing him. David lets go that one rock, and man, that rock goes wide open like a forty-five caliber pistol, sinks down in Goliath's head, and Goliath falls straight on his back. Time stands still. The people up on the hills cannot believe what's just happened. Can you imagine being David and just taking out that nine-foot-tall guy Come on, let me know you wouldn't strut around for a second after you knocked him down. Can I get an amen? And then David does the most Don Colleone, Tony Soprano thing you can imagine. Walks right up over that giant, looks down at him. The giant's got a sword on his side, one of the greatest swords in the world at the time. David's going to use this sword again later in his life. As a matter of fact, David talks about this sword whenever he's running from Saul. I'll teach you about it whenever I talk about David the salt in a few weeks. David grabs the sword off of the side of Goliath, picks it straight up in the air. It's probably so heavy he can't even hardly handle the thing. Picks it straight up in the air, swings it with one massive blow, and he cuts off Goliath's head. Then he doesn't stop there. He reaches down and he grabs that giant's head. I bet he lifted it up for the camp of Israel. Everybody screams they charge the Philistines, and they kill them that night till the sun goes down. But he doesn't stop there. How many of you, if you cut the head off a giant, you're going to want to take that baby home with you. Can I get an amen out there? Huh? If I cut the head off of a giant, that thing is going over my fireplace. You know what David does with the head of that Goliath, head of Goliath? He picks it up. Read the story later. Carries it all the way back to Jerusalem. It's a long way from the Valley of Elah to Jerusalem. He carries a decapitated head all the way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem during this time of David's life was not under Israeli control. Jerusalem at this time was a place called Jebus. Now I'll tell you who was in charge of it then. Was the Jebusites. Was the Jebusite stronghold. And it was the one place David had already decided he was going to live. What I think David did is David took the head of Goliath, marched all the way to Jebus, got right outside of the range of the archers of the Jebusite stronghold, held up that massive noggin he'd taken off of Goliath and screamed, Hey, all you Jebusites, look out here. I want you to see what happens when you mess with the covenant man of God most high. You know what David did later in life? He went back and he took their city. And you know what Jebus became? It became the city of David. As a matter of fact, we excavated it not all that long ago. If you look at the Temple Mount, it's on the Zion, Mount Zion side of the Temple Mount. David writes writes psalms as David the psalmist. Talking about going up Zion. Going up to worship the Lord. But before he would get to walk up Zion, he would have to be David the soldier. Let me tell you, church, there are a lot of things in life you will never get unless you're willing to fight for them. Let me say that again. There are a lot of things in life you will never get until you're willing to fight for them. Let me say that one more time. There are a lot of things in life you will never get until you're willing to fight for them. It's the way it is. A lot of people don't like that kind of preaching, but it's the truth. If you're not willing to go get it, it's not coming to you, so it takes faith. See, David was David the soldier, and he understood that our God was the Lord of hosts or the God of war. I'll tell you something right now, we are in a spiritual war in America. We are in a spiritual war in the world, and we are a peaceful people, and I'm a man of peace. But I'm telling you, there is a war for the heart and the soul of the next generation and gospel truth around the world. Come on, would you stand up on your feet with me at every campus? I want us to pray. I want us to pray. I want to pray for every campus. I want you to close your eyes right there where you are. I want to pray. I want to pray that God would make us wise to what's going on around us. The Bible says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. That means there's evil stuff coming to try to stop people from coming into the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, I believe with all of my heart that you are a generation that is watching the rise of the beast system of the book of Revelation. You're watching the rise of the beast. I believe that right now. Things are changing around the world. Quickly at a rapid pace. But I'll tell you what our God will do is the enemy comes with a rapid pace. Our God will speed up the sound of revival around the world. I believe it. There, there, there's, there's the kings. He'll, he'll speed up the sound of revival. And the kings of this earth, they, they mock and they scoff against God and his anointed. But God sits in the heavens and he laughs. We serve the God that will have the last laugh. We serve the God that will split the skies. We serve the God that will collect his beloved to himself. He will not leave you, He will not forsake you. He is a very present help. He trains your hands to war. Now, why don't you lift your hand right where you are? Father, I pray that you would teach us to war in the spirit, to war in the spirit. Father, and to win the war for the souls of humanity. Got to watch the way I say this because some left-wing outlet will manipulate my words that I'm calling you to war. I'm calling you to a war in the spirit to pray for lost people, to witness the gospel, and to change the world. Father, teach us the lessons, I pray, O Lord, of David the soldier. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, amen. I'm going to release every...